message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruiz. As you might imagine, I, uh, I'm going to take a week from our series on worship, talk about our current events, but it, uh, it's occurred to me as we have worshipped this morning that, you know, worship, worship is really the only, the only good answer, it's the only, it's the only satisfaction to the heart of man is to worship his creator. It is, is our eternal occupation, do you know? You will do it forever and ever and ever. And it is the satisfying of all endeavors is worship. So we're going to talk about, let me change mics here. I'm going to grab this one, guys, because I'm cutting out. We're going to talk about worship next next time and continue our series. This morning, the title of, uh, of my notes is Responding to the Horrific. Is this working, guys? You good? Okay. Responding to the Horrific. Uh, I can't watch the news. I haven't. Um, I don't mean ever. I just mean this week. Not a, not a single minute. I heard through one person or another what had happened, and I, I just, I, I, I could not, I could not bring myself to watch not a moment's news coverage. I, I knew what I would see. We've seen it too many times now. The unimaginable has happened once again. What shall we say to these things? Christian should have a response, shouldn't he? What is it? Our country, our world, uh, I don't have to tell you, are in bad shape. And people, people need answers. I think maybe um, in a way that they haven't for a long time, people are ready for answers, re- real answers. I hope you sense that. The Bible says that we, you and I, believers, those of the faith, we're to be bright lights in a dark world. We are to be hope to the hopeless. We are to be a north star when those around us need direction. So I'm going to give you two, two things this morning that the world, I think, needs from us. Pretty simple. Number one, the first thing they need is to see we hurt. They need to see we hurt. The Bible says that Jesus wept at the news of death. In death, sin wins doesn't it? The result of sin should sadden us before and perhaps more than it angers us. Let me say that again. The results of sin should sadden us before and perhaps even more than they anger us. Take the time to mourn before you blame 
your position, Christian, on gun control, school security, or whatever, whatever issues we're going to find connected to all this, they can wait for another day. The result of sin should turn your stomach. And not just the sin in others, mind you. The sin in you should break your heart when it, when it rears its head in such an evil way. Don't be so quick to dismiss the ugliness and the wretchedness of your own sin this weekend. Remember, you too are saved by grace alone, right? I mean, you, you, you weren't smarter than anybody else. You weren't more holy that you would run to God. Now he ran to you. Sin has its way with us in many ways, doesn't it? Thank the Lord and Him alone if your particular sin hasn't made such a horrific appearance as we've seen this week. But you have sinned nonetheless. Sin is capable of great evil and we are all sinners in need of saving. Amen? So, number one, hurt. Weep because sin and evil wreak havoc. They do should break your heart. It should turn your stomach. Not just the sin you see, but the sin you know. The hurting need to know we get it, that we can hurt as well, and that we do hurt. They need to know that God gets it as well. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, but one who in every respect has been tested as we are. John Piper, one pastor, his response to this tragedy was to say this, mass murder is why Jesus came into the world the way he did. Listen, what kind of savior do we need when our hearts are shredded by brutal loss? We need a suffering savior. We need a savior who has tasted the cup of horror that we are being forced to drink. And that's how he came. He knew what this world needed, didn't he? Not a comedian, not a sports hero, not a movie star, not a, politi- uh, not a politician, not a doctor, not even a pastor. The world needed what no mere man could be. The world needed a suffering sovereign. Mere suffering wouldn't do. Mere sovereignty would not do. The one is not strong enough to save, the other is not weak enough to sympathize. So... Piper says, he came as who he was, the compassionate king, the crushed conqueror, the lamb-like lion, the suffering sovereign. The world needs us to hurt with them and to know that Christ knows the taste of the horrific. Number one, they need to know we hurt. Number two, the world needs to know our hope. Our hope. I keep uh, I keep telling myself that uh, two and three generations before us probably thought that things couldn't get any worse, and so because of that, I probably shouldn't take you know the stance that uh, things aren't going to get any worse. I mean, right? Generations of old guys before us have been saying this is this is the end. This is as bad as it's going to get. 
after this week, I, I no longer think it too soon to say that our world is gone to hell in a handbasket. One thing is for sure, the more evil rears its ugly head, the more obvious it becomes that our, our own devices, that on our own we, we have no real hope, do we? <laughs> on our own, left to our own, we, we're without hope. Humanity at its very best is desperately insufficient to answer the hardest challenges of life, isn't it? We, we are sorely deficient to have any sort of response outside of God to things like this week. Without God, we are without hope. Left to our own devices, we get worse, not better, don't we? I mean, all of our advances in our culture, at the base level, have we really gotten any better? Have we improved things? We have not. But Christians, let me, uh, let me encourage you. Save your I told you so's for another day. That attitude I don't think will do any good. The world needs to know our hope. And I can't, I can't really tell you why I can't put my finger on it. As I said, I've, I've not watched a single moment of news coverage. But something seems different in my spirit this time. It almost seems like this tragedy, this time, we might, we might just wake up in a way we haven't woken up before. I mean, it, it seems in my spirit that this time, it's almost like because it's no longer random to us, we just wait for the next breaking news on the bottom of our screen, don't we? It, it seems like we've, we've kind of lost our ability to tolerate evil in a way maybe that we haven't before. That's, I think, good news. Perhaps God will use Satan's evil to soften hearts to the hope of Jesus Christ. I mean, uh, the father just so happens to be in the redemption business, doesn't he? He just so happens to be the one and only who could take evil and out of it bring good. He's the great redeemer. He takes something that's empty and ready to be tossed and he can, he can cash it in. I think our world is starting to realize that he's the only one that has that ability. In the, uh, in the Marine Corps, we've instituted a no, new program to track um, the well-being of our soldiers. And every so often, the command staff of our unit gets together and we go through a list of Marines who may be in um, danger. They may be showing signs of distress in their interaction with the others in the unit or even at home or with the authorities, etc. They've given us reason to believe that there's something, something worth us noticing. And so we color code them. And they can fall into four or five different, different brackets to say to us, this guy, he's right here on the scale of in great danger or safe once again. And we sit around the room and we go through a list of our men and we, and we talk about where they are and what we've done and how we can help. 
You know who gets looked to more and more on that command staff force retention board is what we call it? It's the chaplain at the table. I was at uh, Publix last Saturday doing a Toys for Tots collection event. If you're not uh, familiar with Toys for Tots, it's a, it's a Marine Corps event. It's, uh, it's a Marine-sponsored collection. And uh, so I was there with another Marine in uniform, and we were out front with the box collecting toys. And um, this, this old guy came out of Publix, looked over at us. He, he looked at me. And he looked away and he kept walking towards his car and then he looked back and he stopped right in the middle of the road as if he was talking to himself. And he forced himself to turn back and he walked straight over to me. And I got a little worried at this point. I didn't know, I didn't know what he was doing. And he came, came up near to me and he laid his wrinkled hand over my right lapel where my chaplain's cross is. And, and he said... Um, he said, I can't believe they still let you wear that. I pray they never make you take it off. And with a tear in his eye, he turned around and he walked away. And what I, what I heard in that old veteran's voice was, was that the spiritual had been important to him. At some point in his service, he was surprised that we still got to man that duty as chaplains. But he knew how critical it was. Um, my uh, colonel in our unit, he's a, he's a Marine's Marine. I mean, if you have a stereotype of what a Marine is, this dude is it. He's scary just walking down the hall. And uh, in these force retention board meetings, um, even, even this guy knows when the need is beyond his pay grade. And even, even this guy knows the importance of the religious, the spiritual aspect in those conversations. I assured that old veteran as he walked away that uh, the boots on the ground, the men doing the work know very well how important the religious and the spiritual health of our soldiers are. My prayer this week is that our world, our country, our politicians, our communities, our schools, our neighbors, our friends, our family members, know when to turn away from their own devices and turn back to God. Know when they've reached the limit of their pay grade. Know when they've run out of any sufficient answers. Let's pray that God uses these hurts to soften hearts to the only real hope for humanity. Chuck Swindoll said it this way once. Pain has the ability to plant a flag of reality in the fortress of a rebel heart. Great statement. Pain, think about this, has the ability to plant a flag in the fortress of our rebel hearts. Our hearts, humanly speaking, they're rebellious. We are running as fast as we can against and away from God. There's something about pain when it, when it strikes, when it happens, that God is able to take that pain, that hurt, and plant a flag through that reality that we are insufficient on our own. And he can break through the fortress, those walls that we've put up in our heart. He can, he can break through using that pain. That's the great possibility. 
even in, in, even in the hurt. C.S. Lewis long ago said it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasure, whispers. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Can God use the hurt to awaken us? He can. So just as important as it is that we show real hurt and compassion when tragic events strike, it is critical that we have an answer to these things. When God is potentially opening hearts, people are poised for an answer. And by an answer, I mean something of real value to offer. More than just our condolences. And at this point about answers, I'm not, I'm not specifically talking about those who have lost loved ones. What they need is your prayers, and they need the presence of family and friends and believers around them. But the rest of us who are sitting on the outskirts of this tragedy are looking around saying, what, what, what's going on here? And ready for answers, poised to hear truth. Because the rest of the nonsense we've been selling out to isn't working. Maybe pain has planted that flag in our rebel hearts. The world needs to know your hope. It's the only solid rock left to stand on. Um, Maybe you aren't clear as to what in the world is going on. Maybe you aren't sure what God is up to or where he is in moments like these. Maybe you don't have a good answer. Maybe you're not ready to give any kind of answer. But the questions are not new questions. In the fourth century, a guy named Epicurus, he put the question this way, either God wants to abolish evil and he cannot, or he can, but he does not want to. If he wants to, but he cannot, he is impotent. If he can and does not want to, he's wicked. But if God both can and wants to abolish evil, then why in the world do we have evil? Does the, does the world, do, do we, left to our own devices, do we have answers to questions like that? We do not. But in moments like this, that's what, we, that's what it boils down to, doesn't it? The hard questions that man has been asking forever. But you have, you have sufficient answers. Christian, you have sufficient answers for these things. It's interesting, isn't it, how in tragic moments folks start asking a God who they say doesn't exist hard questions. Most days, God doesn't exist, does he? He's unneeded, unnecessary, he's antiquated. It's a crutch for humanity that we made up. But why is it that when hard times come, we're very quick to say, God, where are you? To a God who supposedly doesn't exist. Tommy Nelson, pastor who mentored me, he put it this way in his response to this tragedy this week. Our culture is normally postmodern. It's normally post-Christian, normally existential, evolutionary, secular, Man is the measure of all things. Nature is all there is. Morality is a personal issue. There are no absolutes. But he noted in tragedy, isn't it interesting that the language we hear is not Darwin, 
It's not Freudian. It's not Sartrean. It's not that of Hobbes, Hume, or Marx. It's the language of right and wrong. It's the language of the dignity of man, of the preciousness of a child, the need for reform, and the outcry of why. The Ten Commandments, he says, are easy on the lips this week, aren't they? Thou shall not kill seems very natural. Quoting script, scripture, not spicture. I don't know who spitcher is, Mr. President. But it's Psalm 147 that says, He heals the brokenhearted and He ends their wounds. God is the healer. He is the binder of our wounds. But Scripture comes very naturally to us in moments like this. It seems to me that our country might be open to some truth like never before. These tragedies are, are not random anymore. And we're tired of it, I hope. The question now is, are you ready to give them compassionately some hope? Let me give you a passage that I think will help as you are lights to them. I don't know if you know it, but Philippians 2 says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crook and perverse generation. Is that where we live? It is. Here's who we're to be. We're to be and appear as lights, luminaries. You could translate that stars in the world, holding fast the word of life. That's our job. Do you know that? To be luminaries, guide points. Before we had GPS, we used the stars to navigate. And God says through Paul that your job is to be a star a fixed point in a world that's spinning seemingly out of control that the world can look to and say, this is the way to go. That's our job as Christians, to have a hope that gives people direction. Your job is to be like a star, that fixed, trusted point of reference. So let me give you, let me give you a point of hope to hold on to, but not just to hold on to, to hold forth for the world around you. And the world is asking the question, does God even care? When they're wondering in weeks like this, does God even care? Certainly, you know He does. Christmas says, I care. The Father might answer. Good Friday says, I care. Easter says, I care. The gospel itself, from beginning to end, says, I care. Of course, He cares. And What in the world are you doing up there? Is this the dialogue going through the hearts and minds of people? I think so. The hard answer is he's waiting, patiently waiting. He's waiting. So here, here's your verse of hope to hold on to. 2 Peter 3.9. Anybody know it? Anybody quote it? Memorize it. 
This is the passage I use more than any other when I do funerals. When I'm standing before family and friends who are wondering what in the world is God doing to let this happen, whatever the case may be, to take this loved one, what's going on? This is the verse I keep going back to. I think it might be the most important verse in your New Testament when it comes to giving hope in a dark world. Memorize it. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness. What promise are we talking about? In context, we're talking about a promise to judge the world in righteousness. The early Christians after Jesus left were waiting around for His second coming, and so was everybody else. He's coming back to make all things right, the disciples would proclaim. He's coming back to judge the world in righteousness and to fix it all, to redeem it all. And day after day after day went by, and those around the disciples started to wonder, these guys still believe this? And not only did they wonder, but they began to mock. Where is your God, this one who's promised to make all things right? Where is he? This is Peter's response. He's not slow about his promises. Could be translated, God, my God's not a slacker. He's not dropping the ball on his end of the deal. He's not not slow to judge the world. But let me tell you what he is doing. Here it is. Here's the hope for you to hold forth. God is patient toward you not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. What is he doing? What is God doing? Where is he? God, what are you up to in moments like this? Here's here's the best answer I can give you, and I will admit that I can't give you complete and full answers. There are answers to problems like this week that are beyond us, that we'll only find in heaven. But here is, I think, the answer that we have to cling to and we have to hold forth as lights in a world that is spinning out of control. Here's what they can look to. God is up to something, and here's what it is. He's being patient. The picture I get in my mind is that God has slid to the edge of His throne and He is ready to come back and make all things right, but He is restraining Himself. Why? He's patient. Patient for what? His desire is that none of us would perish. And that for all of us, we would find repentance. What's the answer? The answer is God is waiting on the gospel to do its job. And He's waiting on us to carry out that message. In the meantime, and it is a mean time, He is restraining himself because here's what's going to happen when God slides off his throne and he comes back. Like we say to our kids, don't don't make me come down there. Don't make me come back there. Don't make me go in there. When God finally reaches the end of his tolerance for sin and his patience, his long-suffering, Scripture calls it, when it runs out, And he slides off the edge of that throne and he comes back. Here's the truth. Here's the reality. 
But here's also the hope. He will make things right, but he's going to make all things right. That includes all things that are wrong about you and me. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for him to make all things right? I mean all things. Things that you're involved in. The sin that's still part of you. Are you ready for all of it to be made right? Not just that guy out there that did that crazy thing. Are you ready for him to make all things right? Because until then, he's got to hold himself back. Because when the judge comes, it all, it all gets fixed. All of it. That's the only answer we have. That our God is gracious. Our Savior is brokenhearted over these events. Just as he was when he watched the Son take the cross. What is he doing? The answer, the answer you have to hold on to is that our God, he does care. And he is so patient and so caring that he will wait one more day, one more day, so that none of us would perish. Because if he comes back and we're left on our own, you perish. Unless there is repentance and faith, you perish. He'll fix it all, including you including them, including your spouse, including your children, including your friends and your neighbors. Thank God he hasn't fixed it yet because that means there are those who will perish outside of their repentance. What is he doing? Come Lord soon, we pray, but do we know what we ask for? Do we know? The hope you have is this, that God is about the business of the gospel. He's about the business of repentance and faith and redemption. He came, he intervened in humanity, he suffered, he died, he paid a debt we could not pay, and now he waits and he restrains himself. He holds himself back. He holds back the floodwaters of judgment so that grace can have one more day. Do you know that when he comes, grace is over? And you must stand on your own then. If not in Christ, you will stand on your own before a holy creator God who sees not just the actions on your hands and on your lips, but knows the intentions of your heart. Everything will be laid bare. Every thought that you've had, your guilt will become obvious. And if you are standing outside of Jesus Christ, that's, that's the worst day. Depart from me, I never knew you. If you're outside of Christ, you perish. What is he doing? Where is he? What is he doing? He's hurting like we ought to be. But he's holding out hope. One more day. One more day. The old hymn we used to sing, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. Patiently, Jesus is waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, this is the message we carry. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling. O sinner, O sinners, come home. Why should we tarry when Jesus is pleading, pleading for you and for me? Why should we linger and heed not his mercies, mercies for you and for me? 
Time is now fleeting. The moments are passing, passing from you and from me. Shadows are gathering. Deathbeds are coming, coming for you and for me. Oh, for the wonderful love he has promised, promised for you and for me. Though we have sinned, he has mercy and pardon, pardon for you and for me. What is he doing? Waiting. Softly, tenderly, patiently, waiting, watching, calling, come home, come home. Our world wants an answer from God, but it wants wants an answer of our own design. We don't want to hear that the gospel is the answer. We don't want to hear that we are sinners, that there is guilt upon us as well. Even though it seems painfully obvious this weekend, we don't, we don't want the answer to be that we are all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God and that we're all in need of a redeemer. We're all in need of redemption. We're all in need of a suffering Savior. We don't want that answer unless we're willing to humble ourselves, wave the white flag of life and say, you know what? None of this other stuff seems to be working. I'm going back to my creator. I think there are some men and women around you, around me, that based on the events of this week, have hearts that God has been able to break through to. And I imagine that there are men and women who are ready to hear gospel truth that have shunned it just days before. Are you ready? Are you ready to take that news to them? Do you have a hope? Do you have a fixed point of reference in the gospel truth? to take to this world, to take to those in darkness around you, those wondering what in the world is God up to? Does he even care? Instinctively, they know he must be there. Instinctively, they know they must have this relationship with him. Instinctively, they know there's some sort of disconnect. And God, nothing else is working. What what are you doing? Oh, I care. I care. Here's what I'm doing. I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you. Are you ready to take that hope? Do you dare take that hope? I read somebody made note that um, the first great awakening started in Connecticut. What could God be up to? Hosea 2, 14 and 15. Let me, let me tell you what he might be up to. Hosea said this of the nation of Israel, and I pray it's true right now. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, meaning Israel, his his children. I will bring her into the wilderness. That's not a good place. But it's in the wilderness that I will speak kindly to her. Keep going. Then I will give her her vineyards. There'll be blessings there. In the valley of Achor. Achor means pain. Trouble, hurt. In the valley of hurt. I will use it as a door of hope. And she will sing there as in the days of her youth as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. Could it be that God uses our valley of pain to be a place of blessing? I think he can do that. That's the business he's in. Trading hurt for hope. Pray with me.
Lead us, Lord. To the only hope in our time of hurt. Lead us to the reason for Christmas, Good Friday, Easter. Lead us to the gospel. Lord, I pray that we would go old school in our hearts. Lead us to the blood. Lead men and women who've cried out against your existence. Lead them to your feet. To those who have been adamantly against us praying in schools, Father, and now find themselves praying around schools. Lead them to truth. Lord, take us back to the cross, the old rugged cross. Take us back to the blood, the only thing that can wash us white as snow. For me, Lord, as as one who is in the faith, one who is of the faith, I've found that uh, at your feet is the only the only place of comfort in weeks like these. So lead, lead your church to worship. Worship in spirit and in truth. Lead us to our eternal occupation. Might we be satisfied as we find rest in you, as we glorify you. Lord, uh, for those who uh, are outside of the faith, redeem evil for good. Redeem the hurt and trade it for hope in their hearts. Lord, as their hearts are, are asking the questions, find a way to plant truth. And use us as stars, lights, fixed points of true reference in this world spinning seemingly out of control. There's no better answer than the blood. There's no better answer. We pray you take us back. today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.